Well, good morning, everybody. Well, uh, first of all, a couple of reminders, and that is um, it's Baptism Sunday next week. Now, at present, that's only in the second meeting. Uh, so that's just at present. You never know. Things might change during the week. I have to say, I've seen hundreds of baptisms, and I can honestly say I never, ever get tired of seeing people make a public declaration for Jesus. I think it's fantastic. So um, it just, I, I love it. Um, so that's the baptism. Secondly, I just wanted to remind you about the Invited series that's coming up. Um, that's the week afterwards, so that will be on the 11th. We'll start that. And I, I trust Kings that it will give us a wonderful appreciation of the rich diversity of the people we have here that are part of us, who we, that we're a part of too at Kings. It's, a, it's a, just a wonderful thing that God has done with us. And I trust we'll appreciate that as we pick up that series on Invited. Okay, let's turn our Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find that the words will come up on the screen behind. If you do have a Bible, I always encourage you to open it and uh, get your, know, know your way around your Bible. It's, um, it's really helpful for you because you won't always have words coming up on a screen when you're at home necessarily. Okay, verses uh, 19, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, oh, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Only a few days ago, evident treasure caused riots. I am, of course, referring to jars of Nutella being sold at knockdown prices in France. It was, uh, I didn't know if you, did you see that? In, in one Intermarche supermarket in central France, all of its stock went in 15 minutes, sold out. Police had been called, and one member of the public left the supermarket with a black eye. That was just one supermarket. There were a number of places where police were called. So um, whatever you do, don't store up for yourself jars of Nutella, my friends. Um, the, the, the effects of treasure can be amazing, can't they? And uh, I think it's, a, it's, it's so timely at the beginning of the year. We're not out of January. And it's a good time to come to God's Word and shape our thinking about money. And this teaching is part of what 
is termed as the Sermon on the Mount. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is to do with our relationship with God our Father. Let me say that again. The whole of our relation, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is to do with our relationship with God our Father. So on the first Sunday, if you remember the new year, Stuart spoke on Ephesians 1.17 about that we're, our priority was to know him better. In fact, the verse he used was, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. Now that is the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Verses like this can make us fidgety. It can make us uncomfortable. But the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is about our relationship with God our Father. If we look at this teaching as a number of impositions, my friends, we've seriously missed it. If we reduce the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount to a number of rules and regulations, nothing could be further from the truth. This is not a textbook. This is not a DIY manual for life. It doesn't work like that. We come to a God who speaks. Our God speaks. And the primary way he speaks is through his word. This is his word to you and to me. We come to his word. And it's our Father is speaking to us. So please understand this. Whatever your fidgetiness about this, just... Let the word of God speak to you. The point of this here is our money is important to God. You cannot miss it. It comes as a surprise to people that our money is important to God. Some people are surprised. One of the best indicators of how we might know him better is how we handle our money. Someone once said there can be no significant growth in your life unless you put your money And your attitude towards it in God's hands. You come to the sheer weight of scripture. And it's unmissable. It's just relentless. Jesus is teaching about money, materialism, possessions. It's just relentless. It's like a juggernaut. Why does he do that? Because our money is important to God. Let me just reinforce this. You think I've already reinforced it. But if you look at Mark, I saw this afresh this week. Mark uh, chapter 12 and verse 41. And it says, uh, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. That's going to stay up there and I'll just follow the passage through a little bit. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. Worth only a few cents, pennies. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury more than has put into into the treasury more than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now you're going to notice what the passage says here. Or should we say, let's notice what the passage doesn't say. See, Jesus happened to see what people were giving as if it was by accident. It doesn't come across that way. Look at the, look at the scripture. 
Can we just put that scripture back up? Um, um, verse 41. Look at the scripture. It's not as if it was by accident. Rather, the implication is that Jesus deliberately stationed himself there. And he watched. And I'd never seen that before. I thought, oh my. Jesus deliberately did this. My friends, our money is important to God and how we handle it. And it's his business. You can't say it's not his business. You can't compartmentalize your life like that. You can't do that. And there's nothing wrong with having wealth. You see, many of God's people get, have wealth. You know, that's, there's nothing wrong with it. And money in itself is not good or bad. But it doesn't stand alone. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's part of our everyday life. And therefore, your attitude towards it and how you determine, determines how you will use it. Uh, underline that it's important to God. That's our starting point. Verse 19 says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, get your priorities right. Why? Because it's a matter of the heart, my friends. Jesus talking about a relationship with your Father in heaven. It's a matter of the heart. It's crucial we remember this. He knows the effect money has on us. He wants you to live in freedom and faith, not fear and anxiety. He wants you to live in freedom and faith. So he says, you know, there's two problems with money. They're subject to decay. And they can be stolen. In other words, you can lose them. So Jesus is saying, don't put your security in what you can lose. Careful where you put your ultimate security. Don't put it in what you can lose. Don't rest the weight of your life in something that can be taken away. You will be devastated. Don't do it. Don't do it, my friends. Stock markets can crash. Your job can be lost. I've seen people utterly derailed when they've lost their job. Utterly. And some of us have experienced that. Don't put your security in what you can lose. Don't do it. Don't do it. Treasures on earth are subject to decay. Let's just take health, for example. If your security is in your health, it's a fragile security. I got health, health, health. I've seen people who are just obsessive about their health. Absolutely obsessive. I mean, by all means, look after ourselves. I'm true. But it's fragile. Our health is fragile. If nothing else, age will give us away. You've got to go that way. I'm telling you that. You know, you're looking at a prime specimen. And many years ago, I was known on the football field as the King's Church Whippet. Boy, could I move. It's different now. It's different, my friends. Age has come. You looked at me and thought, I never could believe he was a whippet. But I was. What? Those days are long gone. Now, if you listen, if you're trusting in your looks, 
I look out here, I thought, what a good-looking bunch of people. If you're trusting in your looks, I'm telling you the truth, they're going to fade. And for some of you, just look back at earlier photographs and you realize it's already happened. I just, I mean, I don't want to shock you, but I mean, this is the way it is. In November, I went to the dentist for a checkup. I asked her if I could have a discount. She said, why do you want a discount? I said, because I don't have as many teeth as I used to. You have to pay the full price. Full set, less than full set, half set, no set, I don't know. You have to pay the price. Actually, she's a great dentist. I just want to tell you that. Um, Because she comes to this church. So it's important that I say that. Now, Now, the problem is, is that don't put your, tra- your treasure. Careful where you put your treasure, you know. Because it's subject to decay, my friends. What is your security? You have to stop and think. We're early 2018. What a good time to stop and ask the question. What have I put my security in? You will know, you know. You will know. Because where your heart is, you'll find your longings. You'll find your desires. You'll find your frequent thoughts going in that direction. You'll know where your treasure is. You'll put your attention to it. It'll take up your time. Oh, not just physical time. It'll take up your mental time. You'll always be thinking about it. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has written a thought-provoking book called Dethroning Mammon. Somebody asked me, what's mammon mean? It means... Not just money, but possessions. It's the the whole thing, money and possessions. And in it, he recalls a lawyer friend of his who worked in the area of divorce. And one of the clients was the wife of a very wealthy man. And he had declared to the courts a sum far less than the reality to reduce the settlement. Uh, This is not unknown, by the way. I've heard this many times. And the lawyer, which is Justin Welby's friend, asked her if she had any idea of the amount of his wealth. And to his astonishment, she gave the precise amount of his available wealth with great accuracy. So how did you do that? Her husband's main occupation once a week was to calculate his personal wealth in order to enjoy the sense of how much he had. I suppose he just told her, and told her every week, so she knew, bang on, exactly what he had. He'd been counting his money every week, his great value of money, and meanwhile, something of more value was slipping away underneath his feet never noticing his marriage. His value and worth of himself all revolved around his wealth. Money has the power to make you and me shallow. All that man's value was wrapped up in his wealth. How sad is that? My friends, how sad is that? Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Your heavenly Father knows this. Your money. 
is important to God. You can't get away from it. And because of that, so is your relationship. You know, the only thing that can never be taken away from you is your relationship with the Lord. It can never be taken away. You cannot get God to stop loving you. He won't do it. He can't do it. You can never take his love away. He will not remove it. His love is unconditional. His love is eternal. His love is not based on who you are and what you do. It's based on who he is and what he does. That's a completely different ballgame. Where's your security? Where have you put your security? Where are you making all your decisions in light of what? I'm not saying that money is not important. Of course it is. God, God thinks it's important. But how you come and handle it is absolutely vital. In the middle of this passage, you will see, you get this verses 22 to 23, and you get this illustration of the eye. Have you ever thought, why is that in there? How does that work? What's it all about? It's about vision, my friends. It's how you see. Your eye is the lamp of the body. The sense is that through the eye, the body finds its way. I talk about this on, a, on our Connect group when I do Jesus and Money. You know, if you come into a lighted room, your eye lets you in. It maneuvers you around the room. Your eye is like headlights of a car on a dark night. I don't know if you've ever got into a car and uh, it's about 11 o'clock at night, it's really dark, but you don't know it's dark because all the street lighting is on and you forget to put your lights on, but you're so lit up it doesn't matter. But as soon as you come out of that lighting, you go, oh, goodness, I haven't got my lights on. And it's so disorientating. Without light, it's amazing how disorientated you can be. How you see dictates the direction of your life. Materialism and greed have this peculiar ability to skew your vision. Just does it. And therefore, your thinking. Don't underestimate the huge power Money has in our lives. God doesn't. And that's why Jesus brings this teaching to us. A few years ago in the UK, there was a small tax increase for people on the highest level of income. Way, way up there. And quite a number of those, I remember this happening, quite a number of those were were really agitated about it. They found this is a a severe imposition, this tax. They felt so totally unreasonable. They called it, some of them called it socialist confiscation. Or worse than the Nazis. Wow, that's, whoa. A few went abroad to talking about the suffering of a tax exile and the oppressive system back here in the UK. A number of them were and still philanthropists. Set up foundations and charities. Give away money to worthy causes. From their point of view, it is their money to give away. And there is a sense that what we have, we hold. And when we choose to use it or give it, it's our choice. On the other hand, our armed forces have something very precious too. It's their lives. And they would not hold on to them. 
if it meant abandoning their colleagues. Money has a strange way of skewing our perspectives. Church, it isn't ours to do what we want. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. The, 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 the scripture tells us that. The earth is the Lord's. Listen, and everything in it. Just say the word everything, can you? Everything. No, just say that again. Everything. Is there anything missed out of that? Just trying to, I'm just wondering. Let's say the word again. Everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord. It all belongs to God. And you say, well, at least I own myself. No, you don't. You're not your own. Why? Been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus, my friends. God says you're not your own. Materialism and greed have this peculiar ability to skew our vision. I know I've used this illustration before. Some of you won't have heard it, but a minister's wife asked her husband what he was speaking on that week. And he said, and apparently it was a men's breakfast. And she, he said, uh, I'm, I'm doing a talk on greed. And she, she said, is that what you called it? He said, yeah, greed. She said, your attendance will drop. And she was absolutely right. It dropped. And the reason she gave is that everyone thinks this has nothing to do with them. Now, if you're committing adultery, you know. You don't sit there and go, am I? Aren't I? You don't do that. You know, I'm not really sure. We, we don't do that. You know. Greed is a lot more subtle. Hence, Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against greed. We always know someone who spends more money than we do. We always know somebody who's more profligate with their money than we are. Therefore, greed is their problem, not mine. We're always looking somewhere else. Money and materials keeps you from asking questions. Do I really need to be spending this much money? We live in a materialistic culture. It doesn't ask those questions. Greed is an attitude of the heart. I have to say, you think, oh, Neil, beginning of the year, could you give us a break? I'm challenged by this teaching. Listen, I had to prepare this. You didn't. I'm challenged by this. And the entrance of your word brings light. The entrance of your word brings light. You know, it turns our world upside down. Or perhaps, actually, it turns our world the right way up. This is why we need to come to God's word again and again and again and let it speak to us. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You're going to serve one, but you cannot serve both. Field Marshal Montgomery often used to stop a pre-battle briefing and he'd say to us, some unfortunate, doubtless terrified soldier, what is your most valuable possession, soldier? My, 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 my rifle, sir? My rifle, sir? Nonsense. Your life. And I aim to ensure you keep it. 
What are you going to do with your life, Christians? 2018? I'm going to say, don't drift into it. Don't drift into this year. You'll easily do that. The currents of our life tend to drift. You need to be intentional. Be intentional. Think. How does God want me to use my money and possessions? How does he want me to do that? I said at the Connect Group, I speak on this uh, subject, Jesus and money. And one of the things I mentioned <coughs> is that we have two gift days a year. We have one in May and we have one in November. And what seemed to surprise people and interest them, I have to say, they said, oh, I've never heard that before. I've never heard you say that before. Is that Des and I plan all year round for gift days. They seem really surprised. We plan all year round for gift days. We agree what we're going to do, and we agree how we're going to do it, and we intentionally put finances aside all year round for gift days. It's a bit here, it's a bit there, sometimes it's a little bit random, but we know what we're doing, and it's a bit here and a bit here, you'll be surprised how much it grows. We plan. I, I used to be caught out by gift days. I said, oh no. Gift day. I need more than a couple of weeks' notice. I don't know about you. I, so I'm just telling you, it's May and November. <laughs> but my, my friend, we, we plan it. We plan it. And I, we plan our regular giving. We agree together and we plan our regular giving. It's first fruits. It's first fruits. Some people say to me, oh, you know, I just can't afford to give to the Lord. Well, you know, that's because it's the last become the last fruits. You know, you leave fruit in the bowl too long, it just goes rotten, doesn't it? It's gone. It's first fruits. First fruits. You bring to God your first fruits. First fruits, the tithe or more, comes out first. That's where it goes. Otherwise, I suspect God would get the leftovers. That is not good. First fruits. He's first. He's the priority. I want to say also, let me Take a moment here. Your response to the giving challenge in May last year was brilliant. It was great. I know some of you couldn't, and that's fine. Some of you did, and some of you, many of you did. And many, uh, you know, you, you just went for it. I, I was very, 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 very encouraged. Thank you. This is a real blessing. Be intentional. Give regularly. Give in faith. When was the last time you were stretched? Plan your giving, my friends. 2018. How are you going to serve God with your giving? How are you going to do that? Have you thought about it? What sort of giver do you wish to be? I wonder who we're going to see in heaven. I think we'll see people whose lives utterly changed eternally who we've never seen before and they were changed by our giving. I think we're going to see people in Nepal. And I know some of them in Kathmandu. But up in the Dolper area where we help fund the church planting, I think we're going to see some of those, especially a few years ago, 60 people baptized one year. If we could have 60 people baptized in one year, we think we had revival. 
60 people baptized in one year. I think we're going to see some of them. We might not be able to pronounce their names very well, but we'll be able to see some of them. And I, I got a feeling they'll be going, you know, you help me. If it wasn't for you, the gospel would never have come to me. I think we're going to see people like that. I think we're going to see people from Africa where Jackie and Wesar and where they're translating the word of God into people's languages. And people are going to, perhaps they'll have their Bible there or whatever. And say, you gave me the word of God. You invested and gave me the word of God. Now that's an investment, isn't it? I think there are going, going to be loads of people invested. And then there's people that we support in Pakistan and the Middle East. I don't know who we're going to see, but I think you're going to see people you never knew. Because we invested. That's an internal investment. That's a good investment. It's not just money. It's lifestyle. Have to think this way. It is lifestyle. I spoke at this funeral during the week of John Fisher. And um, I described John as a one-off. Uh, actually, there are some people who are one-offs, and there are others who are really one-offs. John was really one-off. I mean, he it just, it was John. And um, now the, here's the thing about John. I kept asking people, what do, they, what do they remember about John? Again and again, again and again, we remember his kindness. He was always willing to help us. John, and then on that day, after the funeral, I spoke to all these people. We could have been all day talking about the acts of kindness that John did. John is a giver, always willing to help. What legacy will you leave behind? 2018. John 3.16 is probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can we read that together? You probably know this off by heart, some of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever thought how God's love is expressed? What's the underlying nature of God's love? What, is, what goes on right underneath that? He gave. You can't miss it, can you? He gave. It's the expression of his love that he gave. That's the very nature of God. If that's his nature, do you know, we can have an adventure in giving too. We can have a real adventure in giving too. It's his nature. It undermines his love, his value of people. That's our God. And that's us too. Just to break some of the obstacles down. But this, let's be, let's be intentional about it. I'm going to give her this. I'm going to do this. Cardinal Van Thuen was asked by Pope John Paul II to give the Lent talks to the senior clergy around the Pope. And he starts... His messages about, uh, about he, what, what, he starts by saying what he loves about God most are God's faults. I wonder if there were a few eyebrows that were raised. Among them being God's ludicrous over generosity. 
And then he cites the wedding at Cana of Galilee, an example of a feast that's going to be a disaster. And the honor of the host is about to be seriously undermined. And then Jesus turns water into wine. And if you get the measurements, my friend, I mean, it is so much. It is so much. It's far more, the cardinal says, than a wedding feast required. And enough for the whole village to drink itself under the table. That's ludicrous giving. I love it. It's just the extravagance of God, isn't it? Loves a cheerful giver. The full picture. It's no wonder that Paul writes, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So, my friends, what are you going to do this year? I say, sit down and set your stall out. Be intentional. Plan. Exercise your faith. Ask God for an adventure. And whatever you do, be cheerful. For God so loved the world, he gave. Amen.